Hello, Theologizers. Welcome back to the Theo Bros Podcast, our first podcast of 2019. And I am back, no longer on a solo mission, but with my brother, Benny Boy, back in action. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing great. I'm sure you all missed me desperately, although uh, it was probably nice getting getting uh, an overflow of the passionate side of this podcast on the previous episode, so I'm sure you all appreciated that. I have way too much passion for my own good. I'm glad you're here to balance out my passion with some intellect. Where I'm lacking in intellect, Ben picks up the slack, so it's a good combo. Well, I'm definitely lacking in passion. I don't know if you've noticed, but it basically sounds like my voice, my natural voice, is like the butler that would answer the door at a haunted mansion. Again, a good balance. My obnoxious, um, Brett, quasi, but not really intellectual, somewhat passionate voice is balanced by Ben's more subtle, um, not as passionate, but very sharp and witty voice. So we, uh, you know, the Theo Bros, man, the one-two punch, it all complements each other. So we're good to go. So anyway, Theologizers, uh, sorry for the long hiatus. Um, you know, the holidays, the new year, technical difficulties again. To say the least. I tell you what, Satan really is at our witness. He's at our door and just he is creating all kinds of technological havoc and just trying to keep us as best as he can from doing this podcast. But we fight through it, darn it. Yep. Basically, almost every time we try to record at some point in the recording, there's a little invisible demon on top of one of our mics that's just stabbing the mic with a little pitchfork. Yeah, we have demons living in our computers. I think we need to invite a priest in to do some exorcisms on our computers. Then we'll probably be good to go. Um, anyway, folks, so as been uh, posted on the Facebook page many a eons ago, we are planning on getting into a Disney series. We mentioned the fact that we both are big fans of Disney in our first episode, but we have yet to do uh, do an episode dedicated to any Disney movies. So we thought it would be a, a good time to start that series. And, Benny Boy, what movie will we be starting with? The one, the only, the no contest best Disney movie of all time, The Lion King. Oh, yeah, baby. So good. The Lion King, such a great movie. Came out in 1994 at the tail end of the Disney Renaissance. I was a wee lad of seven years old. Ben was a weeer lad of four years old. And we were the perfect age to have this movie be very impressionable on us. And uh, it's very nostalgic for us these days. And I think it's one of the best, if not the best, Disney animated movie ever to be released. Agreed. Agreed. Hey, so it's kind of interesting background, Brett. Uh, I think probably a lot of our listeners don't don't even know what you mean by the Disney Renaissance. You want to give a quick explanation for that? Yeah, so the Disney Renaissance was pretty much a, a time period in the history of Disney animated movies from about uh, the late 80s, um, 1989, when The Little Mermaid was released, to about the mid-90s, around like the Pocahontas, Hunchback of Notre Dame 
time frame where the the Disney company started releasing uh, hit after hit, quality movie after quality movie uh, with with all the memorable songs that we know today, just great movies that made a lot of money that are still considered all of the modern classics. And they were coming off a period of about 10 to 20 years prior to the late 80s and prior to the Little Mermaid's release where they were really struggling, um, the Disney company and the animated, uh, their animated department. Yeah. So this um, was the period often called the Dark Ages that had like, uh, actually kind of uh, ironically, because it included like the Black Cauldron, for example. It included, um, I think the Aristocats was part of this period as well. Oliver and Company. Yeah. The Great Mouse Detective. As you can tell, listeners, uh, the 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 movies that aren't quite as recognizable as <laughs> Lion King, Aladdin. Not all are bad. Uh, I think there are there were some gems during the 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 dark ages. Um, I I think the Great Mouse Detective is a, is a real gem. Yeah, there were some hidden gems in there, but the movies weren't making a lot of money. They weren't considered big box office hits. So I think, especially financially, um, the the Disney company was struggling in their animation department during those years but there's still some quality movies that were out but a big thing that was lacking in that quote-unquote dark ages like ben said like the late 60s to the late 80s like 20 year period before the renaissance was music and and the songs that were a staple of disney movies in the early years like in the 1940s and right. 50s so think of peter pan think of snow white think of sleeping beauty the kind of really iconic and well-written songs yes they they the the movies had a lot less songs um they they were more straightforward stories without the musical aspect to them i mean some had a few songs but um the songs weren't nearly as um, iconic or memorable um if they even were in, in those movies from the dark ages, the dark ages, we keep on referring to it. It's funny. Um, so yeah, the, the Disney Renaissance started with the little mermaid in the late eighties, um, Aladdin, uh, and beauty and the beast, which came out in the early nineties and then eventually leading to the lion King. Um, and like we said, 1994. Um, so you just take those four right there and you got, some of the most iconic Disney movies of all time released back to back to back. So good times to be a kid. And that's when we were kids. So uh, we were very blessed. Yes, indeed. Hashtag blessed. Also toy story. That was when Pixar was started to get uh, ramped up as well back then for the first time. Yeah. Toy story four coming out this summer too. It's going to yep. be interesting. I have reservations about that, but we'll talk about that some other time. Yeah. Also, the live action version of The Lion King is coming out this year as well. So if you hadn't revisited the original Lion King in a while, I suggest you uh, theologizers do it soon. This would be a good time to watch the movie again um, in preparation of the live action release. Yes, indeed. All right. So let's get going. Let's talk about the theology of the Lion King.
So the first thought I had about this um, that kind of becomes apparent in the whole opening, first opening sequence of The Lion King um, is, right, so the opening song is The Circle of Life. And that kind of portrays the kind of um, philosophy of the whole film. A philosophy that Mufasa later on kind of explicitly articulates to Simba about how everything is connected, right, in a, in a great circle of life, right, that exists in a delicate balance and kind of eternally repeats itself, right? So I noticed that this is kind of a cyclical view of the cosmos, is the kind of, a, a kind of background metaphysic, if you will, of the Lion King. Um, and I thought that was interesting because I thought, although um, in many ways, as, as we're about to get into, The Lion King is a deeply um, Christian film in terms of the Christian archetypes that show up in it. Nevertheless, this kind of background cosmology is very uh, unchristian um, because it seems to me that the Christian narrative is kind of an essentially uh, linear narrative rather than a cyclical one. So historically, Christians have kind of described the, the narrative arc of the cosmos, right, as creation, uh, fall, you know, covenant, uh, redemption, right, and then the culmination of the redemption, right, new creation, right. Um, so that was something that kind of stood out to me. Did you have any thoughts on that, Brett? Yeah, I, I agree. That that stood out to me as well. Um, the opening song is the circle of life, like Ben said. So the song explicitly lays out that sort of uh, viewpoint from the start of the movie, that cyclic uh, viewpoint on the world, that um, everything in natural creation, in uh, life on Earth, has this uh, cyclical uh, nature to it. Um, uh, you know, life, death, rebirth, uh, the animal world, um, the lions, uh, as as Mufasa points out uh, to Simba, uh, eats the antelope, um, but the lion eventually dies, becomes the grass, the antelope eats the grass. Everything you see exists together in a delicate balance. As king, you need to understand that balance and respect all the creatures from the crawling ant to the leaping antelope. Dad, don't we eat the antelope? Yes, Simba, but let me explain. When we die, our bodies become the grass, and the antelope eat the grass. And so, we are all connected in the great circle of life. This cyclical view uh, is, is just permeated in, in a lot of different ways in the film. Um, and again, that's not really the Christian uh, worldview or the Christian view on on history on time the Christian like you said Ben I agree it's much more much more of a linear storyline that's told through through scripture from Genesis to Revelation and uh, the cyclic view more comes from a lot of uh, Eastern religion um, yeah right uh, Hindu Buddhism uh, and others uh, reincarnation um, the, the karma cycle to life uh, of rebirth and, and death and, and 
rebirth again, death, until you eventually um, are brought out of that cycle. But the, the cycle, uh, this cycle is very much a part of existence and part of all life on earth. So uh, even though we've seen um, a lot of Christian themes in the film, uh, the, the big theme that comes out from the beginning of the movie um, explicitly in the song Circle of Life is, is more Eastern, not as Christian. But uh, the Christian narrative that we see in Scripture, there's actually a lot of parallels to that narrative in the movie um, through the, the one um, iteration of the cycle that's played out in the film. So I feel like um, kind of another aspect of that cyclical view of the cosmos in The Lion King that's also kind of contrary to the Christian view is the idea that uh, death specifically is this kind of essential um, aspect of reality, right? Because it's the circle of life and death, right? Whereas on the Christian view, um, it doesn't really have this resigned um, kind of uh, fatalistic view of the place of death in the universe. But from the Christian perspective, death is like an alien force in the universe that needs to be defeated. Um, so Paul says at one point that death uh, will be the last enemy to be destroyed. In Revelation, it says that Hades or the place of the dead is cast into the lake of fire. So I yes. thought that was another important difference. Yeah, agreed once again. Um, death is viewed as a very natural part of that circle of life in the movie. Um, and in the, the Christian worldview, death is the enemy. Death is uh, the most unnatural thing that exists. Um, it, it's natural in the sense that you see it as part of the, the natural creation, but the, the Bible is very clear that the creation um, in its current state is not how things are supposed to be. It's a consequence of the, the fall. Um, and exactly. the, the, the story that Christianity is telling is that God is going to redeem that fallenness in the physical creation. He, uh, and the, like you said, Ben, Paul stating that the last enemy to be defeated is death. So uh, death is not a natural part of the circle of life in the Christian narrative. It is the last and greatest enemy that must be destroyed. Um, so that is another way in which the Lion King's, um, uh, worldview diverts from the Christian worldview. Um, and yeah, so, so death is, is not a good thing. It's not a natural thing. It's not just the way things are, but we have hope that it will be completely defeated, um, and overcome by God in the end. So I would say the Christian view on that is much more hopeful. And yeah. I'm, I am very glad that death is considered the enemy because I think we all know that deep down. If we've ever lost loved one or someone close to us, we know that it's not, it's not natural. It's not right. Um, so I think our, our firsthand personal experience with death testifies to that wrongness as well. Exactly. So let's talk about... Um one of our favorite characters, we'll be talking about him a lot uh, throughout 
this podcast. But again, going back to that first scene of The Lion King, uh, where Simba is kind of held up in front of the pride and so forth. I think what's interesting is it seems like uh, the character Rafiki um, almost has a kind of priestly role in that. When I was rewatching that scene, uh, so Rafiki kind of, um, he gets the whatever stuff from the plant or the coconut and, and spreads it on, on Simba's forehead as a kind of like ritualistic uh, rite, um, R-I-T-E, rite. <laughs> Uh, and that kind of reminded me of a, of kind of like infant baptism, um, and or at the very least that Rafiki is playing this kind of ceremonial priestly role um, in that scene. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, definitely. Hashtag Catholicism with that inf- infant baptism. Not um, not just Catholicism. It's it's Anglican and Lutheran and Methodist, baby. Oh my goodness, really? Yeah, yeah. You got you got to dunk those babies. Oh man, I think I was dedicated as a baby, but I wasn't full on baptized. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, we both Brett and I were baptized um, in our what? I think I was like twelve. Maybe, I guess you were fifteen or something by our grandfather, actually in a lake, like old school John the Baptist style. Yes, yeah, it was a very memorable experience. Yeah, um, but I yeah. think that baby should be baptized. I don't see anything wrong with it. That's have a to... whole other episode, folks. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to we'll have to explore that whole question in a later a later episode. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, that first ceremony it's it's very much a religious esque ceremony, just right there in front of you. There ain't no beating around the bush with that. Um, it is a ceremony where they are, like you said, it's it's a baptismal kind of dedication of Simba by by Rafiki. Um, and we'll talk about the different roles Rafiki plays in this movie, but this is a very priestly role. Because like you said, Ben, he, he rubs that red stuff on his forehead and holds him up for the whole pride lands to see and honor as the future king. It's just, it's a very, uh, it's a very ceremonial. Um, Ceremony, uh, if you will. <laughs> Yeah, that I, I was thinking that as I said that I was like, "Oh shoot, ceremonial ceremony." <laughs> it is a very ceremonial ceremony. I mean, <laughs> some ceremonies just aren't that ceremonial, but this was like the platonic yeah. form of ceremonies. That ceremony was so ceremonial, bro. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like like when someone's really being themselves. You know, it's like when Brett's being Brett. I'm like, "Yo, Brett." You're being so Brett right now. Oh yeah, oh yeah, um, yeah. So that that seemed vi- just very religious, you know. I mean, the the whole ceremony just oozed of uh, a religious kind of feel to it. So, um, yeah, Benny Boy Rafiki, Rafiki's the man. Uh, Rafiki's probably the most prominent character where you can see. Uh, a lot of uh religious themes in so we'll uh we'll hit on some of those others but yeah he he kicks off the movie in, a, in a, his priestly role i would say yeah so we'll, we'll we'll revisit rafiki several times throughout this podcast we'll, we'll we'll be bouncing back to his red butt cheeks a few times ben this is a christian podcast okay we don't say butt cheeks but yeah he does have he does have some flaming cheeks i will say that sorry i'll make sure to flog myself after we get done here 
you just keep on racking up your purgatory years. Like you don't even care anymore. You you have so much, so many purgatory years racked up. You just, you're just like, ah, screw it all. It, it is what it is. I know I'm already going to be uh, in the purgatorial waiting room for like two millennia. Now what's, what's an extra day. <laughs> all right, Ben, let's, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about the, the, the main two characters in the movie, which is, Mufasa, voiced by James Earl Jones, and his son Simba. Heck so, yeah. so Ben Simba is uh, well. Mufasa, first of all, is the current king of Pride Rock, which is this area of Africa um, where you, that I'm not sure that has any official borders. But if you go up onto the little cliffside, Brett, where, uh, d- are you an idiot? The official borders are everything the light touches. Ben, could you let me get to my my punchline? Are you just oh, gonna sorry, ta- sorry, scratch you, that, folks? Are you just gonna take all my mojo there? Anyway, the only border that is mentioned is if you go up onto that cliffside where Rafiki holds Simba up at the beginning of the movie. It's everything the light touches. Simba is the Pride Lands in your kingdom. So yeah, it's everything the light the light touches is the the land of of the pride the land of the pride land land of the free <laughs> home of the prideful except for the dark menacing hellish area that's over on the outskirts where the hyenas live and scar chills but we'll get into that a little bit later but man yeah, uh, scar loves to chill in the elephant graveyard man he's he's just goth like that he, he has like he has the cure playing in the background you must never go there, Simba. All right. Anyway, so Ben, well, if talk- you do, you'll be wearing a black studded belt the rest of your days. Elephant Graveyard actually looks pretty cool. I would go there too if I was Simba. I would. The, the Spencer's shop of uh, the Pride Lands. Exactly the Hot Topic Spencer shop. If it if the Pride Lands was a mall. Okay, so Ben, uh, talk to our our listeners about um, about the whole. Uh, kingdom, kingship, Simba being the heir uh, to that to that kingdom, and heir as the 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 future king um, beyond Mufasa. How how does that parallel to uh, what we see in Scripture and in Christianity? Yeah, so I think this is, um, I guess, the, the more general uh, kind of royal motif and royal motifs. Uh, throughout the Lion King really resonate um, with the royal motifs throughout scripture and the Christian narrative generally. Yeah, so I feel like the general um, royalistic um, motifs throughout the Lion King really parallel um, uh, strong royal motifs throughout scripture. So obviously... Uh, Mufasa, and this will come up again, is very much a kind of God the Father, right? The the kind of OG king um, figure, right? The kind of source of the royalty, right? In the Pride Lands. And of course, Simba, right, is his son, right? And the one true king, as, as he'll say later on. Um, so you have that kind of royal relation between the father and son, Um which obviously parallels the relation between um, the divine father and the divine son in Christianity. But I kind of want to focus in on the character of Simba specifically 
and how it, in an interesting way he kind of plays um he kind of typifies three different uh royal roles from scripture so first uh, as background there's this term uh son of god that's used in scripture and it's this royal term right so the term son of god has this connotation again of a kind of royal representative of god the father on earth and this term son of god is used uh for three different figures in scripture the first is adam who is the you know original human being the kind of federal head of human beings at least and so he's the son of god he's the kind of original um meant to be the first uh human representative a royal representative of god's reign um on earth uh and then the second is israel of course um israel is frequently called the son of god god refers to israel as, as my son right out of out of egypt i have called my son right um because israel is meant to be a kind of royal priestly nation right rather than just an individual that's meant to represent god and his law and his rule on earth um in the hebraic covenant and then finally of course most ultimately jesus is the you know, capital S, Son of God. And the thing, again, they all have in common is that this term is meant to apply to whatever individual or nation is meant to uh, be God's royal ambassador, um, uh, like local ruler um, on earth, or steward, you might say. Um, so first there's Adam, he fails to do that, right? So then God initiates this covenant with Israel. He wants the, the nation to begin to exemplify that. They fail uh, repeatedly throughout their history to be the true son of God and to fulfill that royal vocation. And then finally, Jesus succeeds where Adam and Israel and really all humanity have failed. So not only is he the son of God in the kind of metaphysical sense, right, of being the uh, second um, hypostasis, right? The second divine being that's eternally generated by the Father, but also in this vocational sense, Christ is the true human being that perfectly fulfills our divine um, royal uh, priestly role on earth where everyone else has failed. So I thought that was interesting because it seems like Simba, taking it back to the actual topic, kind of typifies throughout his story um, both Adam, Israel, and Christ. Um, so he typifies Adam and Israel in the sense that he's meant to, again, fulfill this royal role, right? Um, and represent, um, you know, Mufasa's reign, at least after he's dead, right? But he fails at that. Um, and he goes into exile, right? So there's also this exile theme. We'll talk more about that in a minute, right? So Adam is exiled from the garden. Uh, Israel is exiled from the promised land. Um, and so he has this kind of, again, failed royal representative role 
like Adam as the son of the father, like Adam and like Israel. But then when he comes back, it's kind of like uh, Christ, right? Who finally fulfills that, that duty, right? Where Adam and Israel had failed. So in a way you can kind of see the whole, th the whole theme and I guess dynamic of the idea of the Royal son of God um, and the idea of exile kind of play out within Simba's whole story arc. Yeah. 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 His character is, is just a conglomerate of all of the son of God themes in scripture. Um, again, I don't think the directors and the writers of the Lion King were necessarily going for that, but it, it really came out um, in, a, in a big way as at least when, when Ben and I were, were watching the movie again, uh, he doesn't represent Simba doesn't represent just one um quote unquote son of God uh, from scripture. He represents all three major themes of the son of God that we see. Like you said, Ben, Adam, Israel, and Christ. So it's cool uh, to see those, those three different um, aspects of that theme come out at different points in the movie. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, characters aren't always, um, you know, a clean, um, parallel to to one theme or or one um, idea in in scripture. Uh, sometimes you see multiple ideas, multiple themes within one character, and that also happens when uh, a lot of times when like books are being made into films. Um, in order to be more concise, or films are based on live actual events they'll sometimes make a one character kind of a conglomerate of multiple characters in the real story or in the book. Um, so that's just something that film does a lot of times. Again, I don't think the, the directors and writers were going for that per se, but the cool thing is regardless of if they were or not Christian themes and ideas tend to come to the surface anyway, in a lot of art forms, um, in, a, in modern culture, which is just a, a cool idea. It just it shows the universality of a lot of these truths and how a lot of th these things are, are in, deeply embedded within us and our intuitions. Right, right. Yeah, so I guess I, maybe I actually be helpful to have a brief aside about that, um, maybe to kind of give our, our kind of philosophy when we do these kind of cultural comparisons. Um, so for me, that kind of what I think of is some of the early church fathers um, had this idea that the pagan myths um, had kind of inklings of the Christian story embedded in them before the advent of Christ. Um, I think one of them referred to this as God, in order to kind of prepare the pagan world for Christianity, he quote unquote sprinkled his logos, right? Uh, on pagan culture so they had or c.s lewis called them the good dreams of the pagan world and so there's this kind of idea that um or right paul says uh, god has set eternity in the hearts of men so i think the reason that these archetypes come out in different stories whether in film or in folklore or in ancient myths or different novels or whatever or songs is that there's a kind of true story of the world um, that's condensed into the actual historical 
reality of Christ. Um, and God has kind of put in our souls, I guess, collectively and individually, a kind of subconscious, almost inkling of that, this idea of, a, you know, of the dying and rising hero, the idea of exile, um, the idea of kingly rulership, and all these sorts of motifs um, are kind of fragmented throughout different cultures, throughout history. Um, because we were kind of made to be able to recognize and finally find the ultimate fulfillment of that in the Christ story. And uh, as Tolkien put it, the myth become fact. Yeah, I, I, I agree, Ben. I have the same approach, especially when we're talking about um, cultural um, things that are happening, you know, in this case, uh, a film. Um, and how they parallel a uh, spirituality and Christian truth and why we might see some of these parallels. And Richard Rohr actually speaks to this. Um, oh, man, I, I can't remember the exact term he gives for it, but it's something like the universal Christ, Christ with a capital C. Um, uh, and how we, when we normally think of, of Jesus and think of Jesus Christ, we we kind of treat Christ as just Jesus's last name <laughs> that, yeah, it's Jesus Christ, but the bigger picture, and this is seen very prominently in different areas of scripture, especially in the prologue to John's gospel is that the Christ existed from all eternity, the Christ with a capital C, the third person of the Trinity. Second. I'm sorry. The second person of the Trinity. Thanks. Heresy. <laughs> And how the, the Christ, again, going back to the prologue to John's gospel, is the Logos. It's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Uh, Jesus is the truth, Scripture says. Scripture doesn't say Jesus says truths. Jesus proclaims truths. It says Jesus is the truth. What a peculiar thing to, to be stated, that truth is a person. Yet that's what scripture testifies to. So if truth is found in Jesus and is Jesus and is the universal Christ that existed from all eternity, then truth is going to be seen everywhere. It's going to be seen cross-culturally. It's going to be seen throughout history. It's going to be seen throughout all over, uh, permeated in the natural world. Truth isn't contained because that goes against what the definition of truth is. Truth, capital T, is always going to be true. If it's true, it's true everywhere, and it's always been true, and it always will be true. So for us to think that truth will only be found in uh, the year, uh, you know, the years following Christ's life, you know, you know, 44, 50, 60, 70 AD, and, you know, the history of the church since, and it's just going to be found there, and it's just going to be found within the doors of the church, is to not treat truth with the respect it deserves. And it's not to treat truth and the definition of what truth actually is. It's going to be found everywhere. It's not going to be contained within a culture. It's not going to be contained within a segment of history. Jesus was the fulfillment of the, it was, he was the truth made flesh 
so we could, you know, see, touch, feel, hear the truth incarnate. And that's, you know, we've already had our episode on the incarnation and the mystery of that. But we're going to see the, 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 tr the truth, capital T, that's always been true in cultures before Christ, in history before Christ, and other cultures and, and traditions around the world today, throughout nature. And we're also going to see it within ourselves, within our intuitions, embedded in our hearts. So it's not it's no surprise that these truths come out in all of these different ways, including in the Disney movie, The Lion King. Um, so that's how I approach it true too. True if truth is truth, then you are gonna see it everywhere. So anyway, there's my little aside as well. Right. Anything that's good and true and beautiful flows from God. So if you find that somewhere, then it ultimately traces back to God. Exactly. Exactly. All right, so let's start getting oh, into wait, real quick, Van. I remember yeah. the official uh, title of it from Richard Rohr, "The Cosmic Christ." Oh yes, yes. Go ahead, Ben. Uh, well, so I was just going to ask you, Brett, if you wanted to lead us into uh, discussing some of the music. Oh snap! The music is so good, <laughs> so good. I don't know why I think that's funny. There's just a lot of good songs. That's just the holy laughter, Brett. That's the joav joa <laughs> joviality, ghost of Christmas present God laugh. Like there it's awesome. Um, so yeah, so many good songs in this movie. And we already mentioned the circle of life. Um, I just can't wait to be king. Be prepared, <laughs> which is Scar's song, uh, uh, hyena Nazi song. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the hyena Reich. Yes. So many good songs. But I want to focus first on I Just Can't Wait to Be King. What a, what a fun, awesome song. Oh, yeah. There's another song I forgot about, too. Akuna Matata. Who could forget Akuna Matata? Oh, yeah. But I Just Can't Wait to Be King comes pretty early in the movie. Um, uh, Mufasa sends his little toady, uh, Zazu, to look after Simba and Played Nala. by the great, the inestimable, my favorite comedic mind of all time, Rowan Atkinson. Oh, yeah. Rowan Atkinson you, is so good. And if, of course, most people know Mr. Bean, but if you've never watched Black Adder, that is comic genius. You should go watch Black Adder. Anyway, so Rowan Atkinson does Zazu's voice. Yes, yes. Uh, so Zazu's looking after uh, Simba and his friend Nala, who they later get a little uh, romantic in the film, but they're just kids at this point. And Simba is is just daydreaming about him being king one day i mean how cool is that you get to be king the random zebra walking around pride rock he ain't get to be king you know he's just living his normal life but simba he was born into this this royal family the son of the king mufasa and he's starting to think about this he's coming of age and he's thinking you know what it's going to be pretty awesome when i have all the power as king so in typical disney fashion he spontaneously busts out in this celebratory song i just can't wait to be king i'm gonna be a mighty king enemies beware well i've never seen a king or beast with quite so little hair i'm gonna be the main event like the king was before i'm pushing up on the king down i'm working on my part oh, thus far rather an inspiring thing oh i just can't wait to be king 
Nala has some some lines and some parts in it. Even Zazu sings a little bit. It's it's really cool, but um, it's pretty much this joyous celebration of his royal destiny to be king of Pride Rock. Um, and I think that can that can actually be prepared. And I think this might be unexpected for some people to us, sons and daughters of God, because that's who we are, believe it or not. I know it doesn't feel that way sometimes, but that's what the Bible says that we are. We are sons and daughters of God, capital G, I am that I am. That's a pretty mind-blowing thought. And an aspect to that sonship or being a and to be and being that daughter of God is this inheritance into this royal family, an inheritance to be co-rulers, believe it or not. That's what scripture says. That's what Paul says. Co-rulers with Christ, with Jesus. Um, we're not meant we don't have mediocre destinies. We have very big destinies in God. Um, even though it's, it's hard to see that <laughs> in, in our quote unquote mundane lives. A lot of times that we live right now on this earth. But once we step into that, the life of God, we get that Royal inheritance. And part of that is that future uh, rulership of new creation. So in a sense, this song that Simba sings, I just can't wait to be king, is can be can be directly paralleled to us being that kind of Simba character in anticipation of our destinies in new creation as co-rulers with Christ. How cool has that been? It's pretty epic. Yeah. It reminds me too. I think we talked a little bit about this as well on the um the angels and demons uh, episode that we did because it kind of another kind of weird, but also cool sounding thing associated with that in Paul is that um, as co-rulers with Christ will judge angels. That's pretty crazy. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's insane. Actually. Little do we know we're, we're all in our cocoons right now, but little do we know the butterflies that we will all be one day. I'm a beautiful butterfly. I guess we should do a Bugs Life episode someday. Man. I haven't seen I haven't seen that in forever. I know, man. I gotta watch that movie again. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll we'll do we'll do a Pixar series at some point. Yeah. So Brett, one of my favorite scenes in the movie, um, that to me kind of, for me personally, kind of most evokes uh, Zenzukt which we've talked about before on the gladiator gladiator episode, the kind of mystical longing um, for our true home in eternity is the scene after Simba gets himself in trouble um, over in uh, the elephant graveyard slash Spencer's um, and gifts. Yeah. Spencer gifts and Mufasa's walking with him in the grass. Right. And he, he uses it, uses that as a kind of teaching moment. He talks about how the stars in the sky are the kings looking down on us um, and he'll never abandon Simba and so forth after he uses uh, that bad experience as a teaching moment. And they have this really beautiful moment and the music is really beautiful too in the scene where um, Mufasa starts kind of playing, uh, kind of play fighting with Simba 
in the in the grass under the starlight and that scene has really struck me um as evocative i guess um, in a longing way of our eternity uh, with our heavenly father the kind of peace and playfulness um, of that under the starry expanse oh yeah i totally agree i love that scene and it evokes the same thing in me we've been talking about our our destinies as co-rulers and um these kind of kingly roles that we're going to take on um, in in new creation and in, into eternity, but another uh, dimension of our eternal destinies and of our realities right now in the in this moment right here on this earth is that we have a big God full of love, full of compassion that loves us more than we could ever know and cares for us more intimately than we know. And that's what this scene really brought to the forefront of my mind. Um, when they're under this, this starlight and then Hans Zimmer's score starts to play. And Hans Zimmer, Hans Zimmer is a great um, composer. He's done a lot of movies. He acted Gladiator, the other movie that we did an episode on, but he also did the music for Lion King. And the, the, what this scene evokes for me is, is the care that Mufasa has for his son Simba. This playfulness first that he has with Simba as they run around um, through the open field and kind of play wrestle and all this stuff. And, and then at the end, I, I really notice the, just the strength that, exude, that exudes from Mufasa's uh, physicality of his being. Uh, with Simba and just the 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 mane that Simba curls up into and 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 this this powerful aura that Mufasa has and all of that power and all of that strength uh, is very present in his protection of Simba and his care and his compassion and his gentleness towards Simba and it's such a great picture of the fatherhood of our Abba Father in heaven, of God toward us, that we are looked after, that we are protected, that we find refuge in, that cares for us and loves for us more than our minds can comprehend. And it was just a beautiful picture of that in this scene. So I totally agree, Ben. Um, that scene is one of my favorites because of what it evoked and, the, and, and it giving me the reminder um, of the, the strength of God. Because there's times when we're weak in life and we need to know we're not alone. We need, we need someone to lean on and we can always lean into God. And he's there for us. Um, I don't know if you, I know you've had those moments, Ben, I've had these moments where you just feel weak, you feel defeated and that deep longing that we have real deeply rooted in our soul to be known, to be loved, to be cared for, um, that, that is God. That's what, that's who God wants to be for us in our relationship with him. And sometimes it's cool to see that in 
presented in a fictional story in a movie, it really brings it to life. And this scene brought that truth to life for me. Simba, I'm very disappointed in you. I know. You could have been killed. You deliberately disobeyed me. And what's worse, you put Nala in danger. I was just trying to be brave like you. I'm only brave when I have to be. Simba, being brave doesn't mean you go looking for trouble. But you're not scared of anything. I was today. You were? Yes. I thought I might lose you. Oh, I guess even kings get scared, huh? Mm hmm But you know what? What? I think those hyenas were even scared. Because <laughs> nobody messes with your dad. Come here, you. Oh, no, no. Dad? We're pals, right? <laughs> right. And we'll always be together, right? Simba, let me tell you something that my father told me. Look at the stars. The great kings of the past look down on us from those stars. Really? Yes. So whenever you feel alone, just remember that those kings will always be there to guide you. And so will I. Another thing that just occurred to me as well is how maybe again, the kind of spiritual importance um, of the fact that that scene happens right after Simba has this kind of deep moment of shame yes. and, and regret. Yes. And although Mufasa uses it as a, as a teaching moment, um, immediately after that Mufasa just pours out this grace and this care and this forgiveness on Simba. Yes, definitely. I, th I think it's those moments where we need that the most. There's nothing worse than shame and regret and a, a spirit of defeatedness that can come over us. And it's, it's, it's funny in those moments, God isn't there to say, yeah, you did wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I told you so. Yeah. Go to your room, go to timeout here. Have a spanking. No, he comes to us knowing that we beat ourselves up enough. We are the best at giving ourselves justice when it comes to that sort of stuff. We will beat the crap out of ourselves. We'll, we'll show forgiveness toward other people in a heartbeat or very you know, much more easy, easier than we'll show ourselves forgiveness and compassion. We're our, we're our own worst critics a lot of the time. And God is there to scoop us up into his arms and be there for us and bring us that peace that we need in those moments of, of shame and when we really drop the ball in life like Simba did prior to that scene. So that's a, that's a great observation, Ben. Um, All right, Brett. So that Rafiki train is leaving the station. Are you hopping on board? I am always on board the Rafiki train at all times. Shoveling coal as uh, as Rafiki toots the horn and looks out of the window and screams. Yeah! 
Yep. Ooh, be squad, a squash banana. Enough already. What is that supposed to mean, anyway? It means you're a baboon. And I'm not. <laughs> yeah, so we, we already talked about Rafiki having this priestly role at the beginning of the movie. But there's another uh, role that I feel like he really takes on toward the most uh, poignant uh, part of the movie. Uh, which is when he meets Simba after his exile with Timon and Pumbaa. So let's paint the picture, Ben. Let's give a little bit of background before we get into the Holy Spirit nature of Rafiki in that scene. So um, Simba gets led into exile after Mufasa dies. Spoiler, spoiler alert. Sorry, Mufasa dies in the movie. Scar! Brother, help me! Long live the king. So after Mufasa dies in this stampede, uh, which was started by Scar, Scar comes up to Simba as the satanic type figure and he accuses Simba. He says, this was your fault that Mufasa died. You should be ashamed of yourself. You made this happen. His blood is on your hands. And Ben, isn't that so evocative of who Satan is? The Bible describes him as the accuser and as the father of lies. And you see that when Scar accuses Simba immediately after Mufasa's death. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The accuser, the slander or whatever. And it seems like Scar plays that role throughout the film. Um, as we'll see that, that kind of accusatory role shows up towards the end of the movie when Simba returns to Pride Rock as well. Yeah. So because of this Simba, fl uh, he, he, um, <laughs> floods, <laughs> He flew. <laughs> Fly, you fool. He flew um, out of the Pride Lands and eventually meets up with Timon and Pumbaa in their little oasis. So this is where you get the song Akuna Matata. This is where Simba just starts chilling like a villain with Timon and Pumbaa. Akuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. Akuna Matata. Ain't no person crazed. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's our problem free philosophy. Hakuna Matata. And isn't that what we try to do too, Ben? Don't we try to just get in our Timon and Pumbaa oasises in life and try not to have responsibility and just like seek pleasure and numb the pain and just just relax and avoid all of the profound things that we need to deal with and the hurt the hurts that we need to deal with a lot oh, of times yeah. we all go into our own inner um oasises and we have our own inner timon and pumbas in our life i love right. timon and pumba but <laughs> for the sake of this parallel yeah um that's a little too comfortable because there's nothing wrong with enjoying life and having having a, a degree of comfort but 
Simba is running away from his life and running away from his issues into this place. Right. He's getting comfortable in his own exile. Exactly. So you could think of uh, maybe Israel getting yeah. over overly comfortable in Babylon, right? After so many years. Exactly. exactly. This is where Simba takes on the son of God role of, of the nation of Israel is in this portion of the movie. So all, Simba, all those slimy yet satisfying fleeting pleasures. Exactly. So Simba is, is hanging out with Timon and Pumbaa for a while. And eventually Nala decides to leave the pride lands, which is now have been overtaken by scar, which is, has just had devastating effects. The pride lands were a very beautiful place at the beginning of the movie. And it turns into this kind of desolate brown, um, dark, area and that can be a parallel to fallen creation you know after the fall of Mufasa the fall of Simba the whole natural order falls into to disarray right so Nala eventually finds Simba in in his exile with Timon and Pumbaa and Ben I have one question for you can you yes. feel the love tonight The peace the evening brings her. Lie in love. There's a lot of licking of cheek. I'm Elton John, and you know, I used to be able to sing in a higher pitch, but once I reached about 35, I've only been able to sing down here. Hey man, why are you whooping Sir Elton? Show your respects to the sir. Trust me, I love Elton, but you know, you, you got a dog those you love, you know. No, I agree. I agree. But he, yeah, he, he still has a good voice. But yeah, it's not a low Elton John voice. Anyway, so Nala and Simba inevitably fall in love. And Simba's like, oh, yeah, baby, I am in love. I'm chilling. I'm under the starlight. I'm in my oasis. And I also have my woman now. Man, life could not be better. But then guess what? Enter Rafiki. Not yet. First, Nala drops the ball. Then I know you love Rafiki, but we will get there. I'm sorry. I'm 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 jumping. I'm jumping the Rafiki gun, man. I, I I'm I'm on the Rafiki train, and th this is a crazy train. I'm going off the rails on a crazy Rafiki train right now. All right, then hold your horses. Keep your pants on. We're gonna get there in a second. So, hey, yo, I, I I ain't keeping my pants on if Rafiki ain't. Yeah, Ben Ben does not record an episode of Theater Bros with pants on. He refuses. Yeah. He has yeah. to be comfortable. Um, anyway, so Nala, all of a sudden, in the middle of their romance, says, You must go back to Pride Rock and reclaim your throne. And Simba's like, Oh, man, are you kidding me? We're chilling. Why don't you just stay here? Let's just, let's just run away from all that stuff and let's just just seek pleasure and just be together in the easy life of the oasis. But Nala's like, you must go back. And Simba's like, oh my goodness. Here I am trying to run away from that stuff, trying to suppress all the brokenness in my past. I'm chilling and you're bringing all this up to me. Dang it. And isn't that very reminiscent, Ben? The, the, the woman in your life 
speaks a hard truth sometimes, but that, you know, that Ain't is what that the truth. That's what we need to hear sometimes. Now, I'm single, so I'm I'm not speaking from experience some, right some, now. Sometimes it's your mom. <laughs> exactly. Any woman in your life. But uh, I know all men can say an amen to that. Sometimes Listen, women are always ready to whoop with the truth. The hard truths. So Sim was like, okay, here we go. I got to go into some reflection, man. I got to get away. I got to go out under the starlight and think about this because because Nala is bringing all this back to the surface. I got to I got to figure this out. So he wanders out of the oasis and into the open fields under the starlight. And then who shows up at that point, bringing it full circle after this long winded background? Who shows up? Oh, ha, ha, ha. Rafiki. Sorry, that's my best impression. We're pretty weak. <laughs> and you know what? He's no longer in priest mode. He's in Holy Spirit mode. Ben, take it away. <laughs> yeah, so I felt like Rafiki in this scene was very Holy Spirit-esque. Um, one of the aspects of that is it seems like the Holy Spirit often has this role um, in the history of Israel, um, during Jesus's ministry, and in the history of the church, as kind of drawing people into the wild, um, yes. whether whether literally or also metaphorically, usually both. Israel, um, Jesus goes into the desert for forty days. Yeah, that's seen all throughout Scripture. Right. Um, so I think, yeah, he both kind of literally does that sometimes, but also there's a a metaphorical sense in which he draws you into the wild out of all of our own personal oases, all of our own personal Babylons um, to upset our discomfort, to shake us out of complacency. And as with Rafiki in a kind of cryptic uh, questioning way, um, draw us into this bigger story, draw us back into our true vocation. Yeah. Rafiki doesn't, so when, when Rafiki first approaches Simba, he doesn't approach him in a straightforward way. He approaches him in a very mystical way. Rafiki's like the, the early church desert fathers, the monks that just went out into the desert. No pun and, intended. <laughs> and did battle with demons and then just like lived in mo this monastic, isolated lifestyle to just connect in deep and powerful ways with God. They were BA, I must say. That's what Rafiki kind of reminds me of. But anyway, Rafiki talks, like Ben said, in this very cryptic way when he first approaches Simba. He's like, who are you? Yes, but who are they? Correction, I know your, I know your father. But what do you say to this and that? Like, he's just, he's just all over the place. And yeah. Simba's like, huh, what? Huh? Wait, what, what are you talking about? Uh, but it, it has that sort of mystical not not as logical or straightforward way that like the holy spirit works in our our spirit in our in our lives can't you can't contain it you can't nail it down it goes to and fro throughout the earth testifying to the goodness and to the love of god the spirit goes hither and thither man you we know not whence exactly there's a lot of, a lot of thithering going on with the holy spirit so rafiki eventually leads simba to this pool of water and we're going to let you enjoy that portion of the scene here and then we'll talk about it afterward Shh. 
That's not my father. It's just my reflection. No. Look hard. You see, he lives in you. So this pool of water that Rafiki leads Simba to becomes this holy place of Simba finally seeing his true identity, the identity that he has been running away from for years. So he looks into his reflection and Rafiki says, you know, look at your reflection. What do you see? And Simba just sees his reflection. He just sees a reflection of himself. Um, he says, all I see is me. What are you talking about? And like, this is pointless. What are you talking about, Rafiki? And then, Ben, what does Rafiki say to that? He says, I know who you are. You're Mufasa's boy. And then he says, <laughs> look. <laughs> Sorry, I jumped the gun again, man. I'm jumping the Rafiki gun. He says, look hard. So he looks again. And then, lo and behold, the reflection changes from his own reflection to Mufasa. It's a very poignant scene. So he sees his identity as Mufasa's boy, as part of Mufasa, as heir to the kingdom, as the rightful king of Pride Rock. And isn't that so reminiscent of us, Ben? All of us broken human beings on this planet right now that we're having, we all have an identity crisis. We don't know who we really are. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like that also connects with the role of the Holy Spirit as the divine illuminator, as the one that that testifies, as Paul says, his spirit testifies with our spirit that we are sons and daughters of God. Yes, yes. That That is such a, a huge role of the Holy Spirit is testifying to identities. Uh, he testifies to who God is, the truth of God and God's character. And, he also, and the Holy Spirit also testifies to our identities, hidden away with Christ, beloved of God. Um, we live in a broken world. We live in a world much like the scar uh, raining pride lands where everything's dark, everything's there's a lot of dreariness, there's a lot of brokenness. And one of, one of the, the biggest things that are broken in the world is broken identities of us being clouded to who we really are. We think that we are defined by things outside of God, outside of uh, Christ, outside of grace. We think we're identified by our past, we're identified by our upbringing, we're identified by the mistakes we've made, we're identified by external appearances or how talented we are or are not. And all of these things that culture and the world tells us defines us. So in, in, a, in a way, we're, we're fighting an uphill battle because culture and all of the systems of the world are telling us one thing about our identity. 
But the only voice that matters is the voice of truth, which is Christ, which is our Abba Father, which is the Holy Spirit. The truth that the Trinity says we are, and that is beloved sons and daughters of the triune God. And I think part of the the adventure and part of the process of being followers of, of Christ is to allow that truth to sink deeper and deeper into our souls, to, for us to be more awakened more consistently to who we really are, because there is a freedom in that. You know, we're talking about that scene earlier. There's such a freedom in knowing that we're loved. There's such a freedom in knowing that we have a Mufasa, a.k.a. God. Uh, that has such compassion for us. There is a freedom in that. So the Holy Spirit, that is a huge thing, is, is the being the divine illuminator of our identities. Because um, he says, he's Mufasa's alive in you. Very Christian-esque, right, Ben? Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is alive in us. We are the temples of that spirit. Right, right. Yeah, so then I think the next scene also, uh, it, it really jumped out at me because I hadn't really noticed this before until I was rewatching it. But in a way, it was. Um, and we're going to go into the scene now so you can enjoy it. Father? forgotten me no how could i you have forgotten who you are and so forgotten me look inside yourself simba you are more than what you have become you must take your place in the circle of life how can i go back i'm not who i used to be remember who you are you are my son and the one true king What a great scene. What a great scene. Yeah, so it seems like this was the most overtly religious scene where Mufasa appears in the clouds to Simba right after this. And as you just heard, right, he says, uh, you have forgotten who you are and so forgotten me. You are my son and the one true king. That's kind of the culmination where God himself shows up, right? Mufasa, the father himself, shows up in the clouds to affirm Simba's identity and to call him back. Yes. It's very much like a, a quote-unquote God experience. Uh, we're always living within God, within Christ. Um, there's nowhere we can go where we are outside of his presence. He is the eternal source of our, of our existence and of our being. But there's certain moments... Uh, when God breaks through all the crap and all the armor and barricades that we put up in our lives, and he 
is able to reveal himself in a much more powerful way to us and to our spirit. These God experiences that we have that can be very profound and actually change the trajectory of our lives in a lot of ways. Um, Paul had, or formerly when he was called Saul, when he was the Jew uh, persecuting Christians, he had one of these God experiences on the road to Damascus. And that changed his whole life 180 degrees forever. He became the most important Christian figure in history an evangelist in history and wrote half of the New Testament after he persecuted and killed Christians. That's how powerful a God experience can be. Are we all going to have road to Damascus experiences that look exactly like that? No, not necessarily. But uh, as I was alluding to a lot in our previous episode, God speaks our, our language and, and he can re- he can give us those experiences that are more profound in the language we know how to hear. But that is what Simba experiences out in the field where he has this direct encounter with Mufasa in the clouds and it changes his whole trajectory. He decides in that moment, that is the catalyst, the hinge where his life swings from running from his past, being in exile, just living in comfort and numbing the pain to, you know what? I need to face this head on. I'm going back to pride rock. I am going to battle Scar and reclaim my true identity as as the king of the Pride Lands. So, this is this is probably my favorite scene in the movie. Yeah, it's powerful for sure. And then the next scene really struck me um, as almost like it was intentional. Um, a parallel with the resurrection scenes, with the empty tomb scenes in the Gospels when the women come and find the tomb empty and there's an angel there. So similar to that, um, so after Simba leaves, Nala is looking around for Simba and she's like, oh, uh, where's where's Simba? And Rafiki appears in a tree, right? And he's like, oh, you won't find him here. The king has returned. And Nala's like, oh, I can't believe it. He's gone back. He's gone back to challenge Scar and take his place as king have you guys seen simba i thought he was with you he was but now i can't find him where is he (laughs) you won't find him here (laughs) the king has returned i can't believe it he's gone back gone back what do you mean hey what's going on here who's the monkey simba's gone back to challenge scar who scar who's got a scar no 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 it's his uncle the monkey's his uncle no simba's gone back to challenge his uncle to take his place as king oh and so that just really uh stuck out to me because that i'm pretty sure word for word at least in one of the gospels is what the angel says to the women who come to the empty tomb um the angel says you won't find him here he's gone on before you yeah, I, I had actually forgotten about that scene, Ben, until you mentioned it. But wow, that is very explicitly um, Christian as far as being very reminiscent of the angels at the tomb. So that's really cool. I, I had I had forgotten about that. Um, so yeah, Simba eventually go. He he has this epic run through <laughs> oh, <laughs> miles yeah. and miles of African country running side. montage. <laughs> And eventually gets back to um, to to the Pride Lands and battles Scar, 
and and all of his friends help battle all of Scar's uh, toady hyenas, and and they eventually uh, are are on the verge of of defeating Scar and his army. But there's this one last scene where um, Scar and and Simba directly confront each other. And Scar comes back one last time. So Simba's on the verge of retaking his kingship of Pride of Pride Rock. And Scar, one last time, accuses him of killing Mufasa. So that goes to show you the the devil, the voice of the enemy of the accuser is not going to go down without a fight. And he'll he'll attack you probably even more so when you're on the verge of coming into a blessing or coming into a whole new uh maturity uh with your faith i think we just got to be conscientious of that that you know the the world culture the enemy it's going to be kind of fighting against our true identity till the last and um you know jesus temptation in the desert um no one's immune from it so we just need to be on guard to to fight against that with truth from scripture with uh time with god and, and community um so we can live in truth and not in the lies that satan and the demonic and powers of principalities speak to us um and he says so scar says one last time you killed mufasa and then simba goes against that he says no and then fights him on that. So you can see the boldness of Simba now much more than early in the movie when he was just a child. And well, actually, I think I think what happened. I'm getting there, Ben. Please. And then when he gets, <laughs> I keep getting confused about what scene you're talking about. Uh, you're throwing me up. I'm sorry. And then Simba pins down. There you go, Scar. And Scar goes up to his ear and whispers finally the truth of the matter guess what i killed mufasa and then someone goes no and then gets uh scar on his heels eventually in the same position scar had mufasa where he's hanging off this cliff paw on paw with simba and then simba releases him and he falls into the flames This time, Daddy isn't here to save you. And now everyone knows why! Simba! Now this looks familiar. Mm -hmm. Where have I seen this before? Let me think. Oh, yes, I remember. This is just the way your father looked before he died. Here's my little secret. I killed Mufasa. Murderer! No, Simba, please. Tell them the truth. Truth? But truth is in the eye of the bulk. All right. All right. I did it. So they can hear you. I killed Mufasa. Then, come on. And then I think the hyenas uh, actually come and and do them in. They all gather around Scar. 
my friends. Friends? I thought he said we were the enemy. Yeah, that's what I heard. Ed? <laughs> no, let, no let, 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 let me explain. No, you don't understand. No, I didn't mean... No, no! And I feel like that was kind of reminiscent of the whole biblical idea that evil is something that always is is internally self-destructive. Evil always falls back on your own head, to use a, an image from from the Bible. Um, yeah. Or you think of Paul at the beginning of Romans, where he says um, God expresses his wrath um, by giving people over to their own sin, to the the natural consequences of their own sin. So I think that's kind of captured in how it's uh, Scar's own henchmen that end up turning against him and being his demise. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So Simba reclaims the throne, takes his place as the rightful king, uh, gets married to Nala, they have a child, and Rafiki's back in priest mode, uh, lifting the child up on the top of Fried Rock, and we, we're, we're, we're back into the Circle of Life song. And it all comes full circle. <laughs> and that's all, folks. <laughs> yeah, so great, great movie. Great movie, Ben. I, I, I just, I'd probably put it at top three. It might even take the number one spot for me as far as Disney movies. So, um, Theologizers, make sure to watch this bad boy again. You will not regret it. You can appreciate it in a whole new level as an adult. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a be beautiful movie on every level. But musically, the characters are all super memorable and have such big personalities. The story is, is classic, drawing from Hamlet, drawing from classic myths and so forth. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, all right, Theologizers, I think for our next Disney movie, and, and I, I don't want the men out there to call us out on this because you know you like this movie too. I think we're going to do uh, another movie from that Disney renaissance we were talking about earlier. The first one that kicked off that renaissance, which is The Little Mermaid. Yes, indeed. I haven't actually seen that movie straight through in a long time. So me and Ben are going to do our homework. We're going to watch it. We're going to take some notes. We're going to see what pops out at us. But I have a feeling we're going to be able to see a lot of Christian themes in that movie as well. That's another really, really good one. Yeah, it's a great one. Yeah. I rewatched it uh, recently a few weeks ago. Um, I've been going back to a lot of the old Disney movies. And yeah, you, you really can appreciate all of them on whole new levels when you revisit them as an adult. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So also a brief announcement. So... Um, we also want to do our first Q&A episode sometime soon, um, hopefully in the next uh, few weeks. So we'll probably just answer five or six questions or so, just a, ha a handful of questions. So if you have any questions for us, either about Christian theology or why we should believe certain truth claims of Christianity, um, or maybe even just asking for our personal take on this or that issue having to do with the faith, um, or even objections. Uh, send them our way. Just post them on post them on our Facebook page, and we'll pick again five or six of them, and we'll do our Q and A episode. 
Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, also just a, a quick plug. Um, if, if you can or haven't already, it would, it would really help the podcast out a lot. If you went to either iTunes or Stitcher and left a review, um, both of those, uh, platforms are, are really big on, uh, reviews, uh, being, um, a great help to podcasts, getting them more, uh, visibility, um, so if you could, I know it takes, it takes a second, but it would just, it would just mean a lot to both of us if you were able to, to leave, leave us a review on one of those platforms, either iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to the podcast. All right. Well, thanks for joining us once again, theologizers and, uh, stay theological. We'll see you next time. Yes, indeed. See you soon. Theologizers. Peace. This is the Theo Bros Podcast. There's a calm surrender to the rush of day When the heat of a rolling wind can't be turned away An enchanted moment and it sees me through it's enough for this restless warrior just to be with you. And can you feel the love tonight? It is where we are. It's enough for this warrior.